of the book of Romans. We just sang the gospel. We just sang our hope in the hardest times. Valley of the shadow of death, Lord, you are there. And it's in Christ alone that we have hope. I pray, Lord, that as we sing these words, 
They will not become so familiar that they're meaningless, that they won't become so familiar that they lose the reality. Yet, Lord, we know that they are rooted and grounded in you, even in our disobedience, even in perhaps us taking things for granted. These are bedrock truths. So we we place our hope and confidence in them. We ask that you would open our hearts and that we would see what our responsibility is in this grand plan and purpose of salvation for which you have been planning from all of eternity that as we just sang, it is secure and it's going to happen. Lord, we have a role to play in it. Lord, help us to step up and enjoy, fulfill that which you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I hope you're gonna you're having a good day, going to have a good day, and uh, excited for you. Excited, Robert. You see, Robert get all wet last week. That was good. Uh, you know, I told him, Robert, come on, get up, get up. And he said, Well, you knocked my feet out from under me. That's why I was struggling. I said, Well, okay. Well, that was my fault. I'm sorry. And so that was just a joyous time, wasn't it? And uh, I hope that you're excited about that and excited about what God is doing. Thanks to those of you that. Uh, uh, did the meatball and movie outreach last night. That was just awesome. And uh, we got to go back and think about it. We didn't have as many people as we, we you would think. I mean, a free meal, you would just think uh, you'd have hordes here. And we didn't have that many. But we had great turnout on uh, just new people serving, people in this in our community serving. It was just a great night all the way around. Now, doing it during the Big 12 tournament might have something to do with that. And so, you know, sometimes you just got you got to look. It's really hard uh, to you, when you're targeting a community, you got to look ahead and do some of those things. So we'll evaluate that. But it was a great night and uh, appreciate those that, that put effort and time into that. Well, let's look at your notes. And uh, I have a statement there at the beginning that is really this whole lesson is built off this one statement. And it's this understanding. And accepting one circle of responsibility is important in life. Circle of responsibility. Understanding and accepting your circle of responsibility is important in life. Really, so many of the problems in life, so many of the problems in life is the result of straying outside of our circle of responsibility. Now, the idea of a circle of responsibility, uh, I learned this from uh, biblical counselor Chuck Lynch. He's been here several times at our church. And it's it's really important. You know, what's my circle of responsibility? For instance, in life, so much marital problems are a result of spouses uh, straying and taking responsibility in their mate's circle of responsibility. And that what, that's what causes the conflict. We start doing for our mate or start taking responsibility for what our mate should do, and we start taking that as our responsibility and conflict results. Uh, parents taking responsibility for their children's circle of responsibility. I think the hardest thing in parenting is to understand what is your child's circle of responsibility and then realizing that if you want them to take that responsibility, you can't step into it and start doing it for them. Jerry, I always look at you. Is is that true? Yes, that's very true. Then, and and I'll look at Jerry again, as you grow older as as a son or a daughter, taking responsibility for your parents, stepping into their circle of responsibility. Am I right? It works both ways. Employees taking responsibility for their boss's circle of responsibility. That will get you into trouble with your boss. 
and bosses taking responsibility for their employees that ought to be theirs. Well, you, you get the idea. Now, here's what Chuck Wentz says about uh, the principle of circles of responsibility. It will help you to answer two of the most difficult questions in a conflict. You see, when there's conflict, we have a tendency to take on other people's responsibilities. And here's what he says. If you can understand and take on, assume, understand, assume, and accept your circle of responsibility and those of others, you will begin to be able to answer two of the most difficult questions asked in a conflict. And here's the two questions in a conflict. What can be done? What can be done and who should do it in order to bring closure to the conflict? What can be done and who should be doing it? It's really, it's so practical, it's, it's scary, isn't it? All right? And yet, if you will ask that, it would be a great help to you. And here's, what, here's the, the four steps that he takes uh, people through. One, identify what actually happened or is happening. You know, figure out what is the conflict. To be honest with you, the Apostle Paul's been doing that in Romans. From chapters 1 through 8, he's been identifying what has happened and, and, and what is actually happening. Man has sinned. God has provided the answer to that in Christ. And those who believe in Christ are, are filled with the Spirit. You know, he, he's just, Romans 1 through 8 is identifying what's actually has happened. Number two is assign responsibility for all parts of the conflict. That's what's going on in Romans 9 and 10. Uh, we see in Romans 9, God's responsibility for what to resolve this problem of sin. And now in Romans 10, we're seeing our responsibility. And what happens is when we try to take on God's responsibility, bad things happen. And when we fail to do our responsibility, bad things happen. And so we, we have these circles. You need to assign responsibility. Then assume responsibility for the assigned parts that you have. Own your part of it. So we need to accept in Romans 9 that God is sovereign. And trying to change that or tweak that or reject that is going to be bad because that's his circle of responsibility. But when we come to Romans 10, we need to own Romans 10 because that's going to be our responsibility. And then finally, the fourth step, fulfill what is in your circle of responsibility. That's just good stuff, isn't it? Well, when it comes to evangelism, I believe so many of the problems in evangelism, so many of the problems in evangelism is the result of strain outside of our circle of responsibility. Because here's the reality. Evangelism is based on the fact that there's a conflict going on, an irreconcilable conflict between us as humans and God. And so what Chuck Lynch would say is you need to figure out who's uh, what's happening? Well, we're rebelling, and God graciously is saving, but who's assigned responsibility? And so what you have in that is you have three circles. You have God with his circle of responsibility. You have believers with their circle of responsibility, and then you have unbelievers with their circle of responsibility. And there's overlap in these. And, of course, the sweet spot is right here. When God does what he does and we do what we ought to do and the lost do what they ought to do, what happens? What happens? People get saved. Amen? People get saved. That's exciting. (coughs) But in, in, in in a real sense, we have 
Miracles, uh, we have responsibility that is ours. And here's what happens in evangelism. I'm telling you, this is what happens. We start taking responsibility for that which is not ours, for the unbeliever. How do we do that? We start trying to believe for them, right? We try to believe for them. Or we start trying to make the, get them to make the decision that is theirs to make. I'll never forget uh, witnessing to a dear friend of mine in, in high school right after I got saved. And I just kept trying to convince her that she was lost. And I, and I believe she was lost. But she believed she was saved. And there was just tension there. And I, and I was going at it in, a, in, in the wrong way in the sense of I should have just said, oh, okay, well, if you say you're saved, let's look at what the Bible says about what saved people do. That would have been a better track, you see. And then there would have, you know, God would have worked through it. Anyway, it's just easy to do that. Do, do, can, you, can you sense that in your own life where there's been times where you've taken their responsibility in witnessing? Can you, can you see that? Now, another way that we do this is that we can take responsibility for God's circle of responsibility. See, this is why most people do not witness, because they don't understand their circle of responsibility, and they think their responsibility is to what? To save the lost. Now, when you think your responsibility is to save someone, you're going to enter into everything with fear and trembling. In fact, you're going to probably do what? You're going to do nothing because you're like, it all is on me. That's because you don't understand God's circle of responsibility when it comes to salvation, and you don't understand yours, and you're starting to take his, and you haven't thought through these circles of responsibility. Now, lost people have a circle of responsibility as well, and what often happens with them is they too, they try to avoid their circle of responsibility. How do lost people avoid their circle of responsibility? By making excuses, by saying, well, this is why I can't do this. Sometimes they use God's sovereignty as an excuse. Well, God's so sovereign, what does it matter if, if I choose? Well, I'm sorry, but that's outside of your circle of responsibility. Make sense? Or they'll even say the, their excuses will be, well, these, these believers I know, they're hypocrites. I don't want to accept Christ. Sorry. Their hypocrisy is not your responsibility. So I hope you're seeing how this really connects. So here's what we want to do. And let me, let me just say, this past week, in um, uh, last, uh, last Saturday, 10 a.m., my dad uh, passed into eternity. And 12 hours before that, 12 hours before that, at 10 p.m. on Friday night, uh, our family had our last conversation, the last conversation with my dad. It was me, uh, my uh, wife, and my daughter. Last conversation he had, family. And the beauty of, of God's grace in that is that last conversation was guided and focused on all these principles that we have been learning and that we're going to learn today. So that when I left that room, even not knowing that that was going to be my last conversation with my dad, left that room just with a peace that as we drove home, I said, you know what, Gwen? It just feels so good to know that we, by God's grace, have taken care of the most important thing in life. We have had the conversation about that which is most important. I fulfilled my circle of responsibility. The rest is dad's and God's, and I can just, 
I can just sleep good. And then, of course, I'm so glad I could because then the next morning, although we could say goodbye to him, he couldn't talk anymore and he could change his breathing to acknowledge that we were there. And so I, I want you to know that as I walked away from that, these principles that we're going to learn, these are valuable, vital principles. So I want, to give, I want you to give your heart to them because here's the thing. I was able to have peace, peace without denying reality. See, sometimes we find peace when a loved one dies by saying they're in heaven when they're not. And that's a denial of reality. And sometimes we try to give ourselves false assurance, false assurance. But I can tell you that if you will fulfill your circle of responsibility, not just to loved ones, but to the loss that God has brought to you, if you will do that, then you can have a peace that doesn't deny reality and isn't based on false assurance. Because no matter how much we want to say someone is in heaven, we know in our hearts. We really know in our hearts the reality of what is going on. And so here's what I want. Today, I want us to understand three circles of responsibility when it comes to salvation. We're going to look at what our responsibility is in seeing the lost saved. We're going to look at what the responsibility is of the lost in coming to Christ. And we're going to look at what God does in this whole scheme of salvation. And it's all found in Romans chapter 10. Verses 14 through 21. Let's pick it up, though, in verse 11. So let's let's look again at verse 11, Romans 10, verse 11. We're going to read through these passages and see if you can identify the three circles of responsibility that I'm talking about. Let's look at it. Romans 10, verse 11. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him, that is Christ, will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand. First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Well, what we see here are three circles of responsibility and who does what in salvation. So let's look at the first circle, circle of believers, believers, circle of responsibility. And here I'll just sum it up this way. Here's our responsibility. According to Romans 10, proclaim the gospel to all peoples, proclaim the gospel to all peoples. Now, there's many ways you can say that. Share the gospel, sow the, sow the seed. Uh, I like this little phrase, gossip the gospel. In other words, just, just be constantly talking it up. 
talking Christ and just in your circle of, uh, of responsibility, just share, proclaim the gospel to all peoples. Now, let me make three observations under that. And the first one is this. And, and, and what we're focusing, our responsibility is clearly laid out in verses 14 and 15. How then will they call on him who they have not believed? How are they to believe in whom they have never heard? And here's our responsibility. How are they to hear without someone preaching, proclaiming, sharing? Don't get hung up on that. We're not just talking about preachers. We're not just talking about on Sundays. We're not just talking about a pulpit. We're just talking about heralding, proclaiming the gospel, saying this is what Christ has done. And let me just say this. That's a big point right there. See, we think that we are to, again, somehow get them to make a decision. And it is important to persuade and to urge people. But sharing the gospel is just stating facts. Christ has done this. And I'm, and whether you accept it or not, it's real. It's true. And I'm here to tell you, this is how it is. And we get so hung up. Well, why are they going to believe it? Well, it doesn't matter. We're just telling them what Christ has done. So uh, how will they hear without preach? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Well, here's the first observation I want to make, and it's this. God is sovereign. God is sovereign or the means and the end of salvation. Here's what's interesting about verses 14 through 15. If you, first of all, do you see a logical sequence in verses 14 through 15? Look there in your Bible. You see this logical sequence? How many, uh, how many links are in that sequence? Count them up. How many links are in that sequence? Or five, thank you, don't hesitate, don't hesitate. I'm always cramped for time, don't hesitate. Five links in there, right? And you can see them in your notes. God, great, and, and, and he works backwards from people calling, but they can't call if they don't believe. But they can't believe if they don't hear. And they won't hear unless someone shares. And they won't share unless they are sent. And so when you look at that, there's five links in that. But this isn't the only time that Paul has used five links in the chain of salvation. The other time, and you can turn back to it, is Romans 8, 29 and 30. In Romans 8, 29 through 30, there's also five logical links. And you find them there in Romans 8. And let's look at it quickly. Romans 8, 29 through 30. Again, referring to salvation, he says this. For those whom he, that is God, foreknew, one, he also predestined, two, to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called, three, and those whom he called, he also, what? Justified, four, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Here's the beauty of it. There's these sequences. But one sequence, the one in Romans 8, is God's circle of responsibility. He's doing those things. He foreknows those he chooses in love. He predestines them to become like Christ. He calls them effectively to salvation through the gospel. He justifies them by faith alone. He glorifies them without losing a single one. Everyone he foreknew, everyone he predestined, everyone he calls, everyone he justifies, he glorifies. He doesn't lose a single one. The security of your salvation rests in God's circle of responsibility. That's salvation. But that's not the only circle of responsibility that we need to look at. That's God's. Uh, 
We need to accept that. We need to rejoice in that. We shouldn't, first of all, you can't break it. You can't deny it. That's what God is doing. But our circle of responsibility is in Romans 10, 14 through 15. And it is breakable. Why? Because it's our responsibility and we sometimes fail. But the beauty of it is, it is under God's sovereignty. And so even when I am disobedient, I cannot thwart God's purpose to save people. Now that ought to liberate you. Because that means if I'm trying to cooperate with God and I still blow it, I shouldn't freak out. Because God's sovereign and he's, he's accomplishing that. Is that not good? Because I'm, I'm telling you, the first thing you do, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, the first thing I do Saturday afternoon after dad is gone and everything now is settled for whatever it is, it is settled. You go back and say, now, what did I do Friday night? Did I say this? And you begin to rethink that. And the beauty of that is, hey, I fulfilled my responsibility. Now I can lean back. I can rest in God's sovereignty. Maybe I could have done something better. I'm human. I don't know. But that's not, that's, I'm resting in him. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And it, it, it gives you a boldness and an urgency to share things, realizing, oh, okay, this is my responsibility. And even if I blow it, someone is not, you know, God is still going to save. And, but he wants to partner with us. So the first thing I want you, and, and, and I want you to show this, that no matter what God has said in Romans 9, no matter how sovereign he is over the result of salvation, he is also, he is also determined that we play a part in this. And so the five links in Romans 8 doesn't eliminate our responsibility in Romans 10. Got it? And all I'm trying to say is, notice how it looks there. I mean, I, I, I try to show this. It's underneath what God is doing. It's in front of what God is doing. I kind of have it shooting out because what we focus on is the sharing of the gospel. But behind that, underneath that going before it and coming after it is god's sovereign working in the hearts of people listen only god could have arranged friday night for our family only god we prayed for that god was in control of that and only he could have arranged that everything we wanted to say was said everything that needed to be said was said only god can arrange that we aren't fast enough smart enough quick enough uh, caring enough to arrange these things but if we will ask a sovereign God who wants to save all and who is Lord over all, he will help us with that. So notice also that in these chains, that even in the human responsibility part, God initiates the sending. He is the one who sent. So here he is sovereign over this. And he says, in my sovereignty, I want to send you. He's sending people out. He wants to say. The problem is not the heart of God. The problem is whose heart. That's the first thing I want you to say. That God is sovereign over the means and the end. Even though he, salvation is of the Lord, he's going to use us. And he sends us in time present. That's what we can do. We can fulfill that circle of responsibility. Second thing I want you to say is that God is sending his people to all people. God is sending. He, in his sovereignty, he is sending his people to all peoples to proclaim the good news of the gospel. 
The reason I read verses 11 through 13, look at those verses again. The reason I had us read that from two weeks ago is because in those verses, the gospel is good news for all people, Jew and Gentile, rich, poor, young, old, outright rebels, religious Pharisees. The gospel is for all. And if the gospel is good news for all, then we ought to be sharing it with all. That's what we see. Let me give you three principles under that. First of all, all people have the same need. All people have the same need. It's interesting that this idea of no distinction, we see this in verse 12, there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, is also used back in Romans 3. Turn to Romans 3, verse 22. Romans 3, verse 22. This is interesting. Romans 3, verse 22 and verse 23. We, we often don't read verse 22, but we're very familiar with verse 23. Romans 3, 23. Notice what it says, Romans 3, 22. Namely, the righteousness of God, a right standing with God, through, through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory, glory of God. What's he saying there? He's saying that the gospel is for everyone because there's no distinction regarding sin. If everybody is a sinner, then the gospel is for everyone and everyone needs to hear it. And that's what we need to realize. It's for everyone. Everyone falls short of God's righteousness and no one's good works are good enough to measure up. Uh, Friday night, we, we had the visitation. Or, um, sorry, I'm getting all confused. Tuesday night, we had the visitation for dad and one of the first people i mean it's like over 200 people came through for two hours and for a man in eight that's 88 uh, that's just quite a tribute to dad's in don't get that many but one of the first people that came through said this to me lay said this your father was such a good man if he's not in heaven there is no hope for the rest of that's just one of the first things and it just it just hit me and i just thought this dear lady has said more truth than what she Because you're right. Dad isn't going to be in heaven because of good work. He was a good man. If he's not in good, then there's no hope for the rest of us. And I just wanted to grab her and just say, you're right. There's no hope for us. There's no hope for him. There's no hope for us based on our goodness. Why? Because there's no distinction. We're all what? Sinners. We're all sinners. All people have the same need. Because they have the same need, number two, all people need the same message. If they have the same need, then they need the same message. And what's the message? That there's only one way that sinners can be saved, by a just and holy God, by grace through faith in the person of Christ. You see, there's no distinction in sin, and there's no distinction in salvation. So let's read this again in Romans 10, 11 through 13. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone, no distinction, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so that leads me to a third point. All people are saved in the same way. All people are saved in the same way. They need to hear the gospel and believe the gospel. So here's my point. He sends us to all people 
Because the need's the same in Australia as much as it is here. Not only is the need the same, but the message is the same. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But the way they are saved is the same. Look at verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. All I was asking for in terms of my dad was one more opportunity to do what? Fulfill my circle of responsibility to make clear the claims of the gospel. Because I know that no matter how sovereign God is in salvation, he is determined that there's one way people are saved, and that's by telling them, telling them. And in that conversation, there was a greater clarity and a greater explanation that no matter how religious we are, no matter how much we go to church, that's not the case. You've got to let go of those to hang on with both hands. Wow. The final observation I want to make is this. God is sending all of his. God is sending all of his. To all. Uh, as I said earlier, I don't want you to look at Romans 10, 14 through 15. Well, first of all, when do you usually hear this passage preached? Let me ask you that question. Missions. So immediately you think this is for who? Missionaries. And then you see the word preach and you immediately think this is for who? Pastors, right? Chris, you do that. Do We'll pray for you. You know, this is what we pay you for. Pray for you. We'll pray for you. And there's no doubt in the course of my dad's life, there, there, there have been many people that I, I had asked to witness. And there have been many people who I thought, boy, they're going to be more effective. They're going to be more, you know, I, I just, I want them to share. And, 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 and they did that through the years. But the reality is this. God is doing the sending. Who has God sent to be witnesses? And where would you see that? Where's that taught? Where? The Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, 18 through 20. All authority is given to me in heaven and earth. All authority to what? To send you, go, make disciples of all people. That's, that's addressed to everyone. Well, some people say, well, that's just the apostles. But what happens in Acts 1.8? When you, shall, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you shall receive power, and you will be my witnesses. Now, how many of you, how many people who are born again receive the Holy Spirit? Everyone. And so er, how many people have power to witness? Everyone. So turn to your neighbor and say, you got the power. Okay? Say it with attitude. You got the power. You got the power. Okay? If I, you know, you got to help me little thing you got the power to witness and you've got not only the power but you've got what you've got the circle of responsibility now if you have to do it out of duty then do it out of duty but with the holy spirit in you ought to do it with boldness with joy and with eagerness and so he has sent all of us there's more that we can say here but you can go to acts 13 he he uses the church god sent out he said set apart for me paul and barnabas and yet the church set them apart. God uses people, and he is sending us. And that's our circle of responsibility. And that's why he says in verse 16, or I mean, I'm sorry, in verse 15, 
He ends verse 15. How are they to preach unless they are sent? Then he quotes Isaiah, and, and here's what he says. Isaiah 52, verses 9 through 10. Here's what, or 52, verse 7. Here's what he says. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. I'm telling you, you know who shared Christ with you, and you know what a glorious good news is. You know. You look back, you will be forever thankful. Now, the question is, who is going to be thankful that you went to them? Make sense? Who thinks you have beautiful Who thinks you are the one who brought the news that they needed to hear? Just good stuff. Good stuff. Now, unbeliever circle of responsibility. Our responsibility, we got to go. We got to proclaim. Lays that out. Now, what's the circle of responsibility for an unbeliever? It's really simple. Responding to Christ with a faith that obeys. Responding to Christ with a faith that obeys. That's their circle of responsibility. And their responsibility is made so clear in Romans 10. Let me just give you four aspects of that. And, and, and they're just they're very clear. The first is in verse 16. We go to share, and yet we can relate to this. Look at verse 16. But they have not all what? Obeyed the gospel. For I, Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? I want you to circle two words in verse 16. Obeyed and believed. Obeyed and believed. Here's the responsibility of loss. First of all, number one. Obey what they hear proclaimed in the gospel. Obey what they hear proclaimed. Guess what word is used for obey in verse 16? Think of a series we have done recently. What word do you think that is? Hupakuo. That's what the word is. (coughs) So what is he saying here? He's saying they have not all hupakuo the gospel. In other words... They have not taken what they've heard with their ears and surrendered themselves, placed themselves under it to do what the gospel says. Now, here's the beauty. What does the gospel say to do? Believe. So, a faith that obeys. Here, How do you know when someone is hupakuoing the gospel? The gospel says, admit that you're a sinner and your only hope is Jesus Christ, place your faith in him. And when someone surrenders to that, places themselves under what they hear, they will do what the gospel says to do. And number two, they will believe with all their heart. They will believe with all their heart in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why it says here, they have not all obeyed the gospel. Lord, who has believed what we has heard? Because if you obey the gospel, you will believe. And let me say this, the opposite is true. If you believe the gospel, what will you do? You will obey because you're placing yourself under and confessing Jesus is Lord. There's nothing more illogical than to say, I got saved because I said Jesus was Lord, and then to live as though he's not. You see, to obey the gospel is to believe the gospel. To believe the gospel is to obey the one who the gospel proclaims, and that is Jesus Christ. Number three, their responsibility is to confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. Typically, this is done through baptism, public symbol of what God has already done. Because God has raised him from the dead after he lived a perfect life, died as a perfect sacrifice. That's in verse 9 
of Romans 10, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And number four, call on the name of the Lord. Call on the name of the Lord as the sovereign God-man whose very character and conduct is sufficient to save anyone and everyone who places all their hope and confidence in him. Where do you see that? In Romans 10, verses 12 and 13. Look at verses 12 and 13. It says, There's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, don't get freaked out about obey, believe, confess, and call. These aren't four you know, separate steps. It's, just, it's, it's one beautiful thing that's so simple. Believe on Jesus. Okay, I'll obey. I will. I believe on him. He's my Lord. I just confessed. And now I call on him. For the rest of my life, I call on him to deliver me. I don't call to false gods. I don't call to pop psychology books. I don't call to religious ritual. I call out to him for the rest of my life. I call on him, on his character, on his kind. Every time I pray, when I say in Jesus' name, I'm calling on the name of the Lord. I'm saying it's on the basis of him that I can ask for anything. Wow. I can't obey the gospel and save people. I can't believe for them. I I can get them to pray a prayer, but I can't get them to believe in their heart. And if you witness more, and you witness with this idea that my responsibility is, I need to persuade, I need to plead, I need to urge. I mean, if you knew someone was in a house and it was burning down and they were asleep, you wouldn't just say, oh, by the way, the house is on fire, you can decide what you want to do. No, you'd be breaking in windows, you'd be wrestling them out of sleep, you'd be persuading and urging, and yes, in a fire, in the case of a fire, you would even knock them out and pick them up and carry them out to save them. We can't do that in salvation. But we try. In fact, you can do that. And you, you know, it's just like the kid, send him to the corner because he's disobedient, and he says, I may be sitting here in the corner, but in my heart I'm standing up. See, that's the danger in thinking that we can get people, you know, I mean, what I find, the more I witness, the more I find that I can get, usually get people to do anything I want them to do. Once you start talking to people about the gospel and they start sharing their heart, you can get them to say or do just about anything. But I don't, it's not me that needs to be doing that. God needs to be doing it in their heart and they need to be, but I need to be very sure of my responsibility and then their responsibility is to obey, believe, confess, Now, there's this whole aspect of, and and we'll, we'll come back to this next week, because what happens in this passage, what happens in this passage is Paul starts zeroing in on Israel. And what he wants us to see, that yes, in Romans 9, Not all Israel is saved because God in his grace has chosen some of the undeserving. Once this Romans, reason people are condemned. The reason the majority of Jews do not believe today, the reason they do not believe, because 
They have rejected their circle of responsibility. They have refused. They have refused to believe. They have refused to confess. They have refused to call on the name of. We're gonna, we'll look at next week. We'll break down a little bit of why they did that. But I want to give you the Lord's circle of responsibility and look at that. Look at point number three. The Lord's circle of responsibility is this. He graciously saves all who call. He graciously saves all who call on the name of the Lord. This is a beautiful thing. He graciously saves all who call on the name of the Lord. And, and there's just two points I want you to see. The first is this. God is the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus is so sovereign that he determines to save even the most hardened sinners. The Lord Jesus is so sovereign that he determines to save even the most hardened sinners. In a couple of weeks we're going to get in Romans 11 and we're going to see that one of those hardened sinners, one of those hardened Jews was none other than who? The apostle Paul. And you know what Paul said? God, in his sovereignty, revealed himself to to, uh, Paul, or Saul, rather. And Saul said, who are you, Lord? And Lord, what do you want me to do? Confess, or God save him. God is so sovereign that even the most hardened sinner. Two weeks ago, ironically, before my dad died, preached deep across rebel. Now, if anybody was so far away from God, if anyone was so deserving of not ever being saved, it was that man on the cross. And yet God in his sovereignty chose to save that man at the 11th hour. That's why you never give up. That's why as long as someone's breathing, we have our circle of responsibility to share that. And it seems like so unfair. Why do they get a, Why do they get to live their whole? Well, listen. It's not a. It's not a blessing to live without Christ your whole life. You know that's not a bless. You know, <laughs> living without Christ your whole life, you miss out so much. But to think that God is so sovereign, so gracious, so loving that He would save even the most hardened eleventh hour. But I want you to see this: the Lord Jesus is so merciful that he desires to save all rebels who will come to him. And I want to end today with verse 21. Look at verse 21. Next week, we're going to just see how rebellious Israel is, just how hardened they are, how responsible they are for being condemned. But I want you to see how it ends. Did you see this, verse 21? But of Israel, he says, all day long. I have held out my hand to a disobedient and contrary. Listen, God is so sovereign, he can save anyone. And God is so merciful, he wants to save everyone. And his hands are held out. Isn't that beautiful? And I'm telling you, our hands are often doing things like this towards lost people. Our hands are often doing things like this. Our hands are busy doing our things, and God's hands are like. That Saturday morning, last thing I said to my dad, Dad, it's okay. It's time. Let go of everything and reach out to him. 
Because Jesus is there reaching out. And you can trust him. Let go of it all. Right now, in this moment, Dad, let go of it. And reach to him. Say, well, think he was that bad? Listen, I would say that to you. If you were in your death, we need to preach that to one another all the time. All the time. I'm telling you, if I am there taking my last breath, you don't assume. You you preach the gospel to me. And you say, Chris, let go of it all. And turn to him. Turn to him. Because this is his heart. Isn't that beautiful? We need that heart. And we need to understand that's my responsibility. I can't make it for you. I don't know what happened in that heart. I don't need to know. I know a sovereign God who is merciful and just, and I know my responsibility. Trust him. Trust him. Trust him. Then the lost have their responsibility. Beautiful. Let's pray. Father, we come, and we are so grateful for the gospel. We're so grateful that you have revealed our responsibility to us. And that responsibility is undergirded and supported by your sovereignty and your mercy and your justice. And so, God, I pray that we in this room today would commit afresh and anew to our responsibility to proclaim, making clear to the lost their responsibility to obey the gospel and believe. And then rest secure in God's responsibility of saving even the most hardened sinner. It's not our job, Lord, to pick and choose who will hear. Everyone needs to hear. It's not our job to discern who is going to be saved. Our job is to share it with it. Thank you for that opportunity you have given me and my family. Lord, there's so many more. So many more, and it's not just, it's everybody we work with, everybody we live around, everybody in our circle of influence. Lord, help us to step up in joy, sharing the good news so that we may have beautiful, Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen, amen. Go forth and share this week.